Welcome to Failed Architecture Breeze Blocks, where our editors share their thoughts on works in progress, urgent matters, and current happenings in architecture and spatial politics. My name is Joshua McWhorter. In this episode, I'm joined by Julie Dragano, a professor of architecture and urbanism at Parsons School of Design in New York City, and the editor of a recently published book called Design and Political Descent, Spaces, Visuals, Materialities. The book examines the relationship between design, social movements, and the visual and spatial culture of protests. And near the end of a year filled with mass protests on streets across the United States and the world, I wanted to speak with Jilly about the book's themes and their significance during a moment when many architects are thinking about how to leverage their skills in the service of social justice. In the recent past, your research has focused on the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro and elsewhere as a particular site of convergence for material culture, spatial politics, and activism. Tell me a little bit about that work and how it has fed into the current project, Design and Political Descent. What I found was... um... In the Olympics, um, design was not only a tool in the hands of the Olympic organizers and uh, those designers, architects or urbanists that were commissioned to create the Olympic projects, uh, but actually a much more, sometimes more exciting uh, type of design was produced in the hands of the anti-Olympic activists. And this was, uh, on the one hand, a design that we can see in its expressive qualities, like uh, putting demands for change or asking to stop the Olympics. And, of course, communication design, graphic design helped express these demands uh, in a very you know, visually attractive way, an interesting way. Uh, but what was even more um, interesting for me was to see design being used um, especially after, during the London Olympics, uh, in ways that um, involve communities in a bigger way, uh, communities that were mourning for their evictions, uh, projects like tent villages, um, you know, uh, protest camps where kind of a material engagement was um, uh, engaged, uh, collected in order to produce some different forms of society, similar to those we saw in Occupy, so I understood that in this realm of uh, opposition and the social movements, there is a lot of what we can call designerly action that uh, is happening mostly by people who would not necessarily associate themselves with the profession of design. And sometimes even if you ask them uh, and you use a design, the word design, when you talk to them, they would not uh, want to associate with this term. Uh, however, from the point of view of design studies, uh, in, from my lenses, my eyes, I would see this very much as a type of design that was of interest for those who theorize design, but also for those who practice design. For not to say, of course, that in fact, especially after the London Olympics and today, of course, in the social movements, there was a great numbers, number of designers, architects and urbanists that were directly engaged in this realm of uh, opposition. And tell me about how design is framed here, how notions of professional versus informal design capacities are related to the various social movements and political projects described in the book. Yeah, so I think one thing that is also important is something that is seen in the title of the book um, to exemplify the notion of design, that um, for many people design is associated with objects. And uh, this, when we say design, especially in the field of, de- the field of design studies, we mean, of course, a much broader uh, definition of design that includes from uh, architecture, urban design, uh, visuals, uh, communication, and materiality at large, not only the design of objects, products, but also engagement with material things and assembling material things. Um, and 
there is some important definition that um, you know that you see very often in in the field of design studies by Herbert Simon, who said that to design is to devise courses of action aimed at changing existing situations into preferred ones. And so, what is it, for Herbert Simon, design was not something was more of an epistemic category that you don't see only in the act of designers but in, in the acts of, those, of all those who want to devise courses of actions to bring some kind of improvement. And when we see social change, of course, as a type of improvement or political change, then we understand that these courses of action can be seen and studied through the point of view of design, even sometimes when they don't necessarily bring material change. Um, and we see design, of course, today expanding beyond the, the production of material forms. We see a lot of service design, design for social innovation, design of protocols, etc. And for Her Herbert Simon, even lawyers, even doctors who wanted to improve, to, to, to see, to improve the existing situations into preferred ones, they were all, in fact, inherently designing. And this is something that then has been taken from more contemporary thinkers um, in design, like Eccio Mancini, for instance, etc., who use this term of uh, the notion of diffuse design, where design is being seen not only in the realm of professional practice of designers, the educated designers in schools, etc., but also in the everyday life. And in my own you know, field of interest, we see it a lot, of course, in the world of social movements. So when I say the word materiality in the, in the book, in the title of the book, I mean not only the products, but also um, the different type of things that sometimes people bring together uh, in order to create and change the material conditions of their life. Um, and very often this other, this domain of action uh, is seen as uh, consumption, or we call these people the users. Uh, but in fact, uh, this way of thinking shows that in fact, even in our everyday life, uh, we are producing, even by not necessarily creating new things, even by assembling and putting things together. So this engagement with materiality is what interests me and many of the contributors in the book. What would you consider to be a form of diffuse spatial design? Would the occupation and appropriation of spaces by protesters fall under this definition of diffuse design? Yeah, for my definition, and this is actually very much a part of my current, my own current research interests, uh, definitely I would think that occupations and spatial appropriations and squads are very much belonging to that domain of design, according to this wider definition. And um, so I, I saw a lot of uh, tent villages in uh, you know, the anti-Olympic movement, and this were even before the Occupy happened. Like in Vancouver, there was such a thing in 2010. And I know that there were several such things, of course, in the 50s and 60s with the anti-nuclear demonstrations, etc. And then the Occupy happened, and it was my first time that I had the direct experience of what it means to, what an occupation is. And um, f besides, of course, the plethora of this graphic signs and communication design that one could see there, uh, like from everyday people who were there to express their own uh, demands or their own wishes and uh, their own visions for the future, uh, for me, especially the second time I think I went there, uh, it felt as if I was in midterm reviews in a design school. And uh, this was uh, because at the same time, there were even, it was almost like a fair of uh, design visions or socio-technical uh, assemblages for the future. So you would see, for instance, composting machines um, 
being, uh, you know, using uh, manpower based on a bicycle. And people had brought all these different things they had created and they were demonstrating them there. In some ways, some of them were used for the occupation per se, uh, but also they were like almost um, as you know, platforms of conversation or each person showing what, how this new society would be like, how, would it, how it would feel like, how it would be, you know, it would be built. And uh, it was like midterm reviews because all of them were kind of unfinished and they were all more about the imaginary um, rather than about the materiality. There was some materiality, but very ad hoc, very precarious. And the most interesting thing there was the vision. Uh, so that's when I really felt very strongly that uh, these uh, occupations are very much about the designerly, what we call it design studies. What you're describing almost sounds like a form of uh, material prototyping, right? And actually the word that is being used um, for describing this type of politics that happen in a protest camp is prefigurative politics. So to my mind, this prefiguration is exactly as you said, very close to what we see in design as prototyping. In your introduction to the book, you pinpoint the rise of the global justice movement at the end of the 1990s as the start of this pivotal era for enacting and understanding what you call new, quote-unquote, repertoires of creative political dissent and spatial appropriation. How have global political dynamics in the last two decades allowed for uh, you know, material design, architecture, and urbanism to become important vectors of dissent, or at least to be understood as such? So, um, first of all, the, about the word repertoires, um, this is um, the way I use it is coming from a reference to uh, Charles Tilley, who is a sociologist, who was a sociologist of social movements, one of the first sociologists who studied social movements, and who spoke about um, the repertoires of um, collective action or contentious action. And he saw these repertoires as mostly established and um, used by activists, by participants social movements, almost like from a palette. So breaking windows was one such repertoire, we would say. And what was interesting to me was that uh, actually... Um, when we see the designerly, not only from the designers, we see not necessarily established repertoires, but what is very interesting is to see also new ways of acting being devised through the particular sociopolitical action that is happening in this work of the social movements. So I was not so sure that these are established repertoires, and my interest was not so much in the established repertoires, but in these new modes of action that were emerging. Uh, now, the interest in the last um, 20 years, actually, this was uh, revealed to me by when I first time read um, Grubber's uh, work on the New Anarchist, I think is the name of the text. And there he very clearly says that after the 1999 uh, Battle of Seattle, as it is known, against the World Trade Organization, uh, this very, very well-known social movement, uh, mo mo moment in the social movement world, um, there was maybe, he calls it like maybe, I don't know if it was the first time, but it was very visible that we dealt at this from that point on with what they call um, a diversity of action. Um, it was not anymore um, so much people going out to the street to protest uh, using words or using, uh, you know, text-based, um, you know, demands. Uh, but besides what we, we people knew, the black blocks that were like the violent, you know, most of the violent actors in protest, there was a variety of types of protesting. 
So for instance, we can see the pink blocks, which are people using kind of uh, queer languages, uh, very performative or sometimes carnivalesque languages of protest, or they were using puppets or, you know, sculptures. And we can see this in the street action, but at the same time, we see this other type of action, which is the prefigurative, which is not necessarily on the street, and which sometimes is in kind of interstitial spaces where different types of action are being used, which are not so much about the expressive, but also about uh, generating you know, different ways of acting or embodying the new society. Um, now, why this started happening so much you know, after, since the, in the last 20 years, some people might say that this happens also because design has developed in a way being more open source. So design has become, and creativity in general, has become a tool that is open you know, and used by the wider society and not so much only by people who are professionals or educated in these fields. So this might be one explanation. So right now we're against this backdrop of social unrest, economic hardship, the pandemic, and there's this increasing desire among designers, architects, and scholars to engage in activism and to even express and enact dissent within their own fields. Do you see design and political dissent as a potential resource for architects and designers who are interested in collaborating with social movements? Well, uh, the book was finished, I completed this book during the first week of the pandemic. So it is the pre-COVID book. But uh, after COVID, I mean, of course, as we know, it's almost like the floodgates were opened and uh, we see so much of um, what was described here, you know, from maybe sporadic examples across the world. And now we see this everywhere and with much bigger force. Um, I mean, I didn't even dare to start, to start recording all the instances of, you know, designerly dissent I saw during the protests of the summer, during the summer, you know, where we would see the masks being used as platforms for, you know, projecting uh, images, uh, messages and, uh, you know, all this kind of uh, very in, uh, ad hoc and uh, spontaneous expressions of, you know, the sculptures that people made on the street based on uh, with things that they found from the protest. I saw some amazing things in Fort Greene with the ashes of a, of a car that was burned and it was put into a memorial um, there on the street. On the, just on the pavement, uh, there were amazing things that were produced. And then, of course, even this kind of prefigurative uh, reenactments uh, at the um, Capitol Hill in Seattle or this occupation across the, the, the City Hall in New York, uh, which were short-lived, but at the same time, of course, they were very powerful and uh, they became platforms of a lot of conversation. And the fact that they were temporary and shorter, it's even a strength for them, I think, because you can see seeds of this being spread. And, of course, being these, things, these ideas will develop in different um, iterations later on. It might be not, uh, you know, protest camps anymore. There might be other formats that uh, will, be, will emerge out of that. Recently, there was this um, a, a student brought this to my attention the other day, this uh, cancel rent protests, and uh, there was there were several of them, of course, in the city and everywhere in the world. And uh, interestingly, one of them recently in New York ended with in front of the city hall with creating almost like a theatrical stage of uh, of a home poured out on the street. So they had brought a sofa and uh, you know a table that was from a living room 
and uh, and things that it was almost like um, you know what what it means when people are evicted you know and this was such a powerful uh, engagement with materiality of the home and what it means to bring this out to the street uh, that was really I think extremely it is it is this kind of things that this book was you know concerned about and we see this happening a lot now. The students, of course, inevitably and rightfully so, they're very interested not only to see what can be done from the point of view of um, design, architecture, urbanism, uh, but also to associate themselves with the social movements, the political movements, and do work in, you know, in coalition and from within. Um, and uh, I think for me, one, what, what I think is important for students when they do a project, which usually, you know, it might be a small scale or a very specific situation, to think as a scaffolding that uh, this thing that they produce can have an effect. And uh, it might be very local, it might be in a very small scale, but it's very important to also think of the scaffolding of possibilities and of engagement that one has to do in parallel to their work as designers or as urbanists. So it is not just this one project we're part of, but what else it, it does, is it necessary in order to achieve this kind of change, you know, in a bigger scale and in a broader level. The tool that design has, that design possesses, is the possibility to create the spaces of justice, to, to, to show a possibility, even in small scale, in the real world. So not only to fight the injustice, but to create some kind of... Uh, real palpable you know space or moment where we see things restored we see things improved which comes to this kind of very early definition we discussed about design the courses of action to improve a situation to bring it to a preferred state so this kind of active power i think is something that designers know how to use <laughs>